0: Welcome to Help Me to Understand, a podcast where women give their voices to issues of social justice, political activism, giving back, and other topics relevant today. I'm your host, Felicia Garland. As you look around, you can't avoid the fact that we live in an age of political and social divisions, global warming, economic and racial inequality, and a breakdown in many of our social structures. And that was just this morning's news. I find it can be all so confusing and I bet you do as well. Perhaps you'd like to make a difference in the world, even if only a small one, but you feel you need more knowledge and understanding around the issues we face in order to develop the tolerance, empathy, and compassion you need to become a force for good. It's my mission with this podcast to hear from women who are working every day to make a difference. So welcome, curious listener, to this journey of discovery and understanding. I'm so glad you're here. Together, let's become a force for good. Today, I'm speaking with Malee Solomon, founder of the Talking with God Project, a nonprofit research study into lived religion among followers of the Abrahamic religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Through in-depth interviews with a broad range of participants from different denominations, ages backgrounds and professions Maylee seeks to understand the range of practices amongst people walking diverse religious paths Maylee defines herself as an interreligious leader with an interest in understanding the nature of similarities and differences among people especially religious and cultural differences People who are different she says or the other can seem threatening How to Reduce that Fear and Increase Curiosity, Knowledge of, and Connection are the driving forces in her current research and community engagement. Maylee holds a BA in Fine Arts from Oberlin College, an MBA from Northeastern University, a Certificate in Coaching from International Coach Academy, and a Master of Jewish Liberal Studies from Hebrew College with a focus on global interreligious studies. Hi, Maylee. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Felicia. So nice to be here. So talking with God project may be obvious to some what Mm -hmm. that project is. But if you could take us through a brief description
1: um, and also perhaps to cover your mission and purpose. Sure. Happy to do that. So as you very well said in the intro, and thank you for that, it is a research project that I began in 2014. I am looking at how people live their religion and that means I'm interested in understanding the religious experience and how people experience their religion outside of the sanctuary. I am specifically not talking with clergy so I'm really interested in how nurses, teachers, accountants, etc are living their religion at work, in the family, out in the community. I'm doing this because I think that understanding religious experience and sharing it with the audience is important and interesting. And I want to inspire familiarity and sensitivity about our own spiritual experience and that of others. I feel that while there's no guarantee that knowledge and familiarity will Lead to reduced fear, hate, and distrust, it does have the possibility of doing that and therefore increasing tolerance and comfort with the other. Given the incredible strife, the increase in anti Semitism, the increase in Islamophobia, you know, last summer's racism awakening in the US, uh, these are really important things to try to get a handle on. In terms of of the mission, what and for whom I'm doing this, I have a fundamental belief that everything starts with the conversation, so that's my fundamental world view. So through the interviews, workshops, my writing, and impending podcast, these are all opportunities for the person I'm speaking with to reflect on their own experience and for the audience to perhaps be prompted into their own reflection.
0: So is this something that personally speaks to you? All of the mission and purpose that you described, I think, I feel is beyond needed, is incredibly timely. I think religion has a way of dividing us, even though there. you may be finding, and we'll talk about this, similarities. But what brings you to this? Why do you feel or maybe you don't feel that you have a unique ability to do this but what is it that brought you to it
1: yeah good question this really grew out of my own experience going to synagogue every saturday morning while i was brought up with nothing this is a what i call an adult onset experience started in university by 2014 i was living in berlin germany and attending a conservative synagogue Regularly, and really, I was finding myself struggling with some of the prayers. I found myself thinking more deeply about who God is for me, what is my relationship to God, and some of the prayers, at least, were sounding quite transactional. Mm -hmm. So, there's one that we read in the conservative service on Saturday morning that basically Says, if we're good boys and girls, God will provide. And if we're not, then, you know, the cows won't have enough wheat and we won't have enough rain and things will go badly for us. And (laughs) this was the sort of prayer that I thought, (laughs) is this how I think of our relationship with God? Is this what it is? It really I really see the transactional sit. aspect. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, right, if I live right. this
0: life, I get this. I exactly.
1: Exactly. And I found myself going around and around in my head, not coming up with any satisfactory answers. And because of my view that, you know, it's interesting to talk to people I don't know, this seemed a really good excuse to talk to people I didn't know.
0: Yes. Normally, religion is sort of like politics. It's something you don't bring up. But you're right. I guess that's an interesting way of looking at it. It gave you license to be Snoopy (laughs) in a way. So how many participants have you interviewed? And is there a number that you have in your mind, a total number that you'd like to interview? And is there a notion, do you have a notion of completion? Or is this an ongoing that you may work on this, you know, have license to ask people these questions forever?
2: <laughs> I will
1: hold on to the license. <laughs> but no, in terms of the numbers, Felicia, I am two interviews away from my total. So in some, I will interview about 60 people. Okay. Pretty much evenly split among choose Christians and Muslims. So that's you know, this has not been a rigorous scientific study.
2: Mm -hmm. As,
1: As you noted again in the intro, I have a lot of education behind me, but I am not currently in academia and I am not approaching it from that lens. So this is a project from my own curiosity and I've approached it very openly, but I did feel that having equity among the faiths, even though they are far from equally distributed in the world,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: right? That would be another way to go, be Mm -hmm. representational, which Mm -hmm. means I'd interview way more Christians and Muslims than Jews. But my feeling was I wanted to have it fairly even and broadly distributed. So I'm very, very close to that goal, which is exciting. It is exciting. You mentioned something starting out when we,
0: I asked you about what brings you to this work. And mm. it's something that I kind of dawned on me. You said you lived in Germany for 12 mm. years. And mm. given Germany's history, I have an understanding, maybe incorrectly, that they have worked very hard over the years to not necessarily overcome. This might not be the right word, but to address these interreligious issues. Did you find anything like that, or have I misstated what's going on there?
1: No, the only small correction there is that I lived in Seattle, Washington for 12 years, but I lived in Berlin, Germany for eight and a half. Okay. Just a small factual point. Um, You're absolutely right. The history, especially for Jews, the German-Jewish relationship has been very, very dark. This is, I think, an understatement. It was actually, it was a challenge, but also a draw for me. I wanted to live in Europe. I went to Berlin. I felt immediately comfortable, which surprised me, but there you go. Mm -hmm. And I found that as an observant Jew, it was a unique experience and a very powerful one. I had lived in various places in the U.S., New York, Boston. Ohio, where I was in school, and Seattle, Washington. Other than Ohio, well, Oberlin has a very large Jewish population, so I guess I can include that. All of those places have significant Jewish populations. It's very, very easy to be a Jew in these places. Berlin, Germany, courtesy of the Holocaust, has a -hmm. very small Jewish population, and you have to, if you want to be observant You need to go find it, and you need to be intentional. And I found that really moving. It was a completely different experience, and it really was powerful because I realized that it was not just in the air. Jewish experience, Jewish life was not just in the air the way it is in many U.S. cities. It was an intentional choice. It needed to be an intentional choice on my part to be observant, to be a part of the community and to practice. And it mattered whether I showed up on Saturday morning. It's a small community. Mm -hmm. Now we're talking about having 50 people in the room. So every voice counts. Mm -hmm. And to be a part of helping to sustain that as well as helping to grow it was very powerful.
0: That's very interesting. And I imagine it could be difficult if you're observant, probably maybe to find the foods or that sort of thing. What I'm curious about is how did you find the people to be? Was it an issue? Did they care? Did they notice? Do you feel that there was any perhaps in the U.S., because there are, in the cities you talked about, such large Jewish populations that it's not a big deal. But did you feel anything about being a Jew besides having to, as you said, be intentional about your practice and kind of work at it? What was the reaction from the German people? And I know we're getting off the project, so I, I want to make sure we get back on there. But and we don't have to answer necessarily, just was kind of Curious about how you found that
1: experience. Right. And I can keep this short. Um, Okay. I was careful about who I told I was Jewish to. My last name is Solomon. To people familiar with Jewish names, that's a really Jewish name. But to a lot of Germans, it didn't say Jewish to them. Mm -hmm. So I was judicious in who I told that I was Jewish. Uh Once I knew someone, I did tell people, and I found generally the response was interest, curiosity, often an apology for the Holocaust, and often an interesting conversation about religious diversity, and often... You know, as any minority will tell you, I was then a representative for the entire Jewish people, which is a quite it's always an awkward no matter what That's your a minority is. A- it's a lot of pressure. <laughs> uh-huh. And mind you, I was needing to explain this in German.
0: Yeah. <laughs> OK, that makes so, it a little more challenging.
1: Yeah, because my German was OK. But when I first moved there, it was pretty basic.
2: Uh-huh.
1: So what I just one very small story is. What also sometimes came with that was talking about Christian holidays, because Germany, as is most of Europe, a very non-observant place. So they're what I would call nominally Christian. Mm -hmm. So I remember the first Christmas that rolled around. I'd become friends with a German woman who lived upstairs and she was about my age. And I found myself explaining Christmas to her in German. It was a very weird experience.
2: That is interesting.
1: Yeah. Basically, that Christmas is a Christian holiday. And Uh no, I don't celebrate it. And no, I don't have a Christmas tree.
0: Okay. I could probably speak to you on this topic forever. But let's, (laughs) okay. But uh, again, because Germany is, because of the history, it's just kind of, it's interesting to me. So you talk about interviewing people about their religious practice Mm -hmm. and their relationship to God. Mm -hmm.
1: What does that mean to you? Me personally? Well, I guess... Or um, or are you asking, what did I learn in the interviews?
0: Maybe a little bit of both. How did you find your participants? Did they sort of self-select and they said, oh, okay, I do have a practice. I'm somebody who does. I have a relationship with God. Did anybody come to you or did you reach out to anybody that would say, I don't really have a practice? And I guess there'd be nothing to have a conversation about, but what is a, at a high level at this point, what's a practice, uh, a religious, they have a religious practice and they have a relationship to God.
1: Right. Okay. Well, that's a fantastic tangle there. Um (laughs) I, I will make well, a go ahead and answer this, what but, I should have yeah. asked. Let's go, let's go with that. Yeah, no, fair enough. No, you you asked a, a bunch of good things there. So first of all, in terms of who I spoke with, I only interviewed people who are observant. And I let people self-define that. So okay. I did not have a observance test okay. that they had to pass. And people were very clear. It was much less about, do you believe in God? Okay. Partly because for us Jews, that's actually not a requirement.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Mm. So that was not my concern. What I cared about was, are you observant? And I let people define that how they want. And people were very upfront about that. There were definitely people I invited who demurred. You said mm-hmm. no. That I'm really not. I I'm spiritual, but not religious, or I'm not in the Abrahamic faith. Right. I was only mm-hmm. interviewing Jews, Christians, and Muslims. So Buddhists and Hindus, and everything else was out. So that I think covers who I was talking with and the mm-hmm. attitude. Okay. In terms of the sense of God question, my own sense of God was ended up being very well represented within the people I've interviewed that is most people see god as a general force as energy as one person said a form of the verb to be
2: mhm okay
1: they went on to say quote there's nothing without god although god is the no thing unquote oh. i thought that was a beautiful description that is A number of Muslims said God is light. The word is Noor, N-O-O-R. And I thought that also was a beautiful way to think about God. A Christian in Germany described God as like a friend, always available, yet all-powerful and all-knowing. And that, that was, again, a really interesting mixture of availability. Closeness and yet everywhere and all powerful, which is,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. I can't say I have any relationships that that are like that.
0: Those seem to me to be very profound and thoughtful answers, uh, and very reflective, self reflect. Did anybody have a what I call my second grade view of God, which was more that, uh, Cecil B. DeMille? You know, coming down Moses with the tablets, and God is the is, or uh, might be an older man with a beard and a robe. Again, a very very juvenile view of God. Did That for their traditionalists, more like that, or is that totally? You were talking to people that were way
1: beyond that. Well, no, I mean, not that it, it matters, sure. and not that no, I, no, it, know, does it, it does. Matter? No, no, it's a good, no, it's a perfectly good, relevant question. A number of people did describe their childhood as having had the childhood view that you described, not so much the Cecil B. DeMille as the old man with a beard up in the clouds. Mm-hmm. And they would readily say, this had been my childhood image and it has shifted out of that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: A few, pretty much only Christians, did talk about the Trinity, which is where you can get to more of a human, right, through Jesus Christ. That is Mm -hmm. the the human and God in one. Mm -hmm. And many of them spoke of that as being an important connection to the abstract. I would also say that a few people really hadn't thought about it much, were a bit stumbled by the question, which I thought was interesting Mm -hmm. to be both observant in a religion, and not really have much of a thought about who God is.
0: Um, and you said earlier that Jews didn't necessarily need to believe in God per se to live to live an observant Jewish life. Did I miss? No, that's correct. What you said okay. No, that's correct. Yep. So I'm curious about the difference between praying, because you talked a little bit about the beginning when you described yourself, certain prayers you recited or uh, parts of the Jewish service, but prayers and actually having a conversation with Mm -hmm. God. And I bring that up and maybe there isn't much of a difference, but one of my favorite musicals is Fiddler on the Mm Roof. And I was raised as a Christian. And one of the things that really stands out about that musical is near the beginning when Tevia, the main character, is actually speaking to God and asking him, why did you make me this way? And why couldn't you have made me rich? Having more of a conversation. For me, growing up, prayers were, when you prayed, you recited certain prayers and they were the same all the time. And you may ask God to, you know, bless mom and dad and your sister and that, but prayer was a certain set thing that you, you recited. Is there a difference? between prayer for most people and talking with God or to God or having a bit of, not that you expect her, him or her to respond where you can hear
1: it, but that there's there a difference. Yeah, it's interesting. I have titled the project Talking With God because that's how I see it. So this is really coming out of my own experience, my own view. Mm -hmm. For the people I spoke with This distinction really was not made. Okay. We did talk about both structured prayer that is mostly prayer in service, Mm -hmm. as well as spontaneous personal prayer outside of service. Now, that's a rough breakout. You can Mm -hmm. have personal prayer in service, and you can, you know, the Muslims certainly, if their service is five times a day, but they're doing it often alone. You know, if they're at mm-hmm. work or in are at home. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so the Muslim structure is a bit different and, and these categories get a bit funny there. Um, I would say there was not a universal definition of prayer. Here are a couple of different things that I heard. Let me give you a couple of quotes from a Muslim college student from Somaliland. I heard. Quote, I feel like in the English language, a lot of things are meant in the name of prayer. So in that definition, I'm praying every night, na- every night. But in yours, I'm not, since I'm saying the informal dua, not the obligatory salat, Unquote. So she was, the salat is the obligatory five times a day prayer. The dua mm. is the informal any time of the day, in your own words, kind of prayer. Okay. I found that a really interesting distinction. Now, in my view, all of that would be prayer.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Okay. And in my interviews, I accepted whatever somebody said was prayer to them. That was prayer. It was, again, completely self-defining. Yes. You weren't trying to put them in a bucket. They were self-defining. Exactly. exactly. Mm -hmm. Here's another one. I have two more. From a modern Orthodox Jew in Israel, I heard, quote, when a person uses heart, mind, or body to try to connect to God, unquote. That was his definition of prayer.
2: Mm-hmm. It's a
1: very emotional. You know, that's an experiential. It has nothing to do with, are you saying written words or using your own? Are you using it in Hebrew or Arabic or English or German or whatever? Mm-hmm. So that was interesting. Then then one more. From an American non-denominational Jew, I heard, quote, frankly, I don't know what prayer is, and I don't really know what it means to pray, unquote. So okay. you tell me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sort
0: of leads to the next, uh, And again, maybe I'm mushing too much together mm. here, but your preliminary conclusions about differences or similarities between amongst the religions. And again, I'm asking a question that you could probably expand upon for hours. But And it kind of goes with, was there anything that came up in a particular interview or comments, and certainly you've been quoting some of them, that
1: stand out to you? Right. So on a very top level, I would say The research has confirmed the sense I had that there are more similarities between levels of strictness regarding practice and outlook Mm -hmm. than within a religion. That is, an Orthodox Jew has more in common with practice and outlook with a very strict Christian or Muslim than to a liberal Jew. okay. The way I've come to see it is it has to do with your starting point. So an Orthodox person, definitely an Orthodox Jew, generally starts with the rules and regulations. They may or may not view Scripture as literal or close to it, right? So there are evangelical born-again Christians who take the Bible quite literally. I mm-hmm. had Jehovah's Witnesses tell me that all answers to life are in the Bible, which is an astonishing thing to think in the year mm-hmm. 2021, 20, but that's their view and they live by it. Whereas liberals begin with the values and the practice that fit today's reality. They're more committed, they are generally more committed to social justice and what supports their individual spiritual experience.
2: mm mm-hmm.
1: They are not concerned with the rules and regs. They're not concerned about eating, you know, if, if they're Jewish, they're not concerned about keeping kosher or mm-hmm. not riding or driving or working on Shabbat, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. There can be a lot of rules and regs in all of these religions as you move to greater strictness of observance. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay.
1: That said, sorry, if I can say one more thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'd like to set one fallacy straight. Liberals, while they don't follow the rules and regs, they are not necessarily less observant or committed to their tradition and practice. They simply have different priorities. By the same token, the Orthodox, just because they are committed to the rules and regs, don't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily mean that their practice and lived experience of their faith is void of passion. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So they do have the observant.
0: They're passionate in in a. They're. Well, you just said they're no less passionate about their religion than someone who is. There's no way to for me to say these things. I don't see to put a value on it, but. Well, I'm not
1: sure what I'm try, trying to say. Can you rephrase? Well, I think you know what you were just. You know, admittedly Stumped stumbling over. around <laughs> a bit uh-huh. it is a reflection of my own experience in the research. It gets muddy really quickly. The variety—it's a nice
0: box. No, absolutely
1: yeah. not. Absolutely not. And and the experiences are incredibly varied. The perspectives are varied. The reasons they're doing it are varied, and given pretty much 60 interviews. I have hundreds of pages of transcripts. Mm -hmm. This is a vast and complex field of information that I am dealing with. And it's super interesting, but it is challenging to reduce it down to a few super clear, broad statements. There weren't that, a lot that have of any, points, I think. Yeah, yeah, that have any <laughs> meaning at all and that are at all accurate to the experience. Uh-huh. Um but they would seem I, to I, be
0: of very little value.
1: Yeah. To this. But I would add one point, because you asked about were there differences across identities?
0: Uh, so, or socioeconomic uh, or educational levels, is that what you mean?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I have interviewed people from a huge range of age, economic background, field of study, level of education, all of that. And at this point, I'd say I have not seen a strong correlation. Mm -hmm. What I am willing to say is that, and this this may sound a bit fundamental, but the academics are more academic. So not... Yeah, not necessarily without spiritual engagement. Uh They question more. They look more to philosophy and theology. Whereas those with lower academic degrees or non academic, say nursing or a technical degree, have looked more to their own experience. They are sometimes incredibly thoughtful and reflective. Uh But the type of inquiry is a little different. When your academics
0: get more academic, I guess, more thoughtful about it, maybe they're able to even express it a little better. Do you find it's a little dispassionate compared to the person who is less educated, who may not have been as reflective about it? Is there a difference of living your religion based on whether you're an academic, let's say? And again, no. I'm asking for for broad generalities, and this doesn't this doesn't fit into
1: those boxes. Yeah, I would say no. Okay, they're not.
0: Any <laughs> would less you like passage? a shorter
1: answer? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's actually very helpful.
0: <laughs> well, then let's go to because, uh, this is a fascinating topic for me. I know this has really become your current uh, your current life's work, and it's it sounds as though it's. These have been issues that have been of interest to you for quite some time. You apply what you're doing now to the community. And we talked a little bit at the beginning about building greater understanding and tolerance and uh, realizing that maybe how you practice your religion and what you do is not much dissimilar than what I do, but you actually are taking this work to the community In coaching, in speaking, in workshops,
1: how do you do that?
0: What do you do in your taking that to the community?
1: Well, yes, definitely workshops, writing blog posts, articles, always looking for more opportunities along those lines. What Um, kind of workshop? What would a workshop be like? I have three workshops that I offer One is about your sense of God. The second is about your prayer practice. And the third is about your lived experience. So, you know, what happens at work? What happens at the family? What happens when your kid is acting up and you're in a long line at the grocery store? Mm -hmm. And a workshop could be either one religion or multiple religions. I'm very open to that. By workshop, this is not a talking heads thing. You are engaging, actively engaging. Absolutely. Absolutely. I begin each workshop with a brief outline of the research because that's Mm -hmm. the context of the workshop. And then I use selected quotes as I've used some quotes uh, with you today, Felicia, as a basis for conversation. I do this because these are Very personal issues. And I feel and my experience has shown that using quotes from anonymous interviewees from the research as springboards for conversation is a very effective way into the conversation rather than saying, okay, hi, everybody. I've done this research. This is what it's about. Okay, tell me about your sense of God. Mm -hmm. especially if you're sitting with a group of people you don't know particularly well, that would Mm -hmm. be super awkward.
0: (laughs) Well, who are these groups? Who would make up a typical group? Who would reach out to you and say, Maylee, could you do a presentation or a a workshop? We want to engage in some of these discussions.
1: Who who would that be? It could be any number of things. It could be a religious community—a church, a synagogue, a mosque. It could be a a social community, from say, you know, the JCC, the Jewish Community Center, or a university, or senior housing mm-hmm. on a social grouping. Or I did one with my local Sisterhood of Shalom Shalom group, for instance. Any interreligious group would Uh be appropriate. I could imagine, I haven't done it, but I could imagine a company wanting to address religion in the workplace, what Christians often call workplace spirituality, doing a workshop specifically on Uh that and using just that third workshop of what are your face and how does it show up at work? This is a big issue at work. You know, it it involves, yeah, it involves things, legal things of accommodation. Mm -hmm. It involves uh, beliefs. It involves who people are willing to and comfortable working with. Religion is everywhere. It's, I know it's invisible to many people, but it has a very profound influence on our worldviews and how we interact with people
0: most companies i believe there may even be obligated to have gender you know, sensitivity training diversity training thank you for that term mm-hmm. and diversity obviously is much more than just uh you know uh, gender based but i having participated in a number of corporate level diversity programs religion has never been one of the topics mm. and as you point out it's a huge topic you know, why does Joe get that holiday off and I don't get this holiday off? And I mean, that's a very basic issue and there's much, much more and it's much more nuance than that. But having that diversity training, I think would be a fabulous idea. We have gone now for a while and I think we could (laughs) go for much, much longer because I, I, again, I'm fascinated by this. But before we close up, is there anything else Briefly, that you'd like us to understand about your work before we go. And again, that's a very big question. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: That's another,
1: <laughs> another big question could take a, could be a big answer. Right. I'm not quite sure I understand the question. So could you rephrase? I, I don't know if you're wanting key points or how do people reach out to me? Well, let's go with that
0: because that is one of the next questions: is how do they learn more about the Talking with God project, or if they want to participate? I know you're coming up to the end of, of participants, but uh, where can they find more information?
2: Well,
1: I invite people to reach out to me through my website, which is talkingwithgodproject.org. At the website, you can read about the research about who I am, who my team is, the workshops I offer. There's all kinds of things uh, you can read. There's a podcast that I did as part of my master's program on interreligious leadership that you can listen to. You can really get a sense of the research and the focus of the project. You can also, and I really encourage listeners to sign up for my mailing list. There's an email, contact on the contact page. And if you do that, then you will hear about any upcoming workshops or writings I do. I am also developing a podcast series and I invite people to sign up so that you will get notices when that starts rolling out. That is very
0: good. Thank you so much. And listeners do know that as with other episodes, I will be putting a link to talkingwithgodproject.org on my website, help me to understand. So look for that there and there'll be more information about this podcast as well as information about Melee. So thank you so much for joining me. This has been fascinating and I appreciate your time. And I look forward to, I believe I signed up for your newsletter and I will be looking for the podcast. I do want to hear those. So again, thanks so much for joining me. Well, thank you, Felicia. It's been a pleasure. That's it for this episode of Help Me to Understand. If you like what you've heard, please go to our website, helpme2understand.com to listen to more great episodes or better yet, subscribe to receive new episodes as they are released. I'm so glad you can join me.